The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Tonight's shapeshifter is Ramasela Ganda, who is the chief executive of Zida Group. Zida Group is the company that owns the car rental business of Avis. Why? Did you call it Zida? Uh, this is something that's been bugging me ever since I saw um, your your initial uh, private uh, public offer. And I said, there's a company called Ziadr, which nobody pronounces Ziadr. They pronounce it Ziadr or Ziada. You can pronounce you Zida or Ziada. Why, why did you choose the name Zida? Where did it come from? Good evening and thank you very much, Bruce. Before there was Avis in South Africa, there was Zida. Oh, really? So okay. Zida was the beginning of the car rental operation in South Africa. And a year later, then we acquired the Avis brand. So it's about legacy. It's about just going back to basics. So I'm going to have to go to Stellenbosch and go to the Zyadar people and say, then why did you call your business Zyadar when there was a Zida? But anyway, okay, thank you for, for clearing that up for me, Ramasella. Um, the story goes, the story goes that you once passed up the opportunity to become the chief financial officer of a big listed company and instead you chose to go and run the finances of a municipality. Is that a true story? It is. And the interesting part was that that listed company somehow found its way back into the company that I was part of uh, just before Zida was unbundled. I did. And it was a crazy decision, but a good one nonetheless. <laughs> What would you, what would you, I mean, I'm talking about Tongart Hewlett, of course. Um, but, but what you year are. was this? Excuse me? What What year was this? I mean, uh, what what was happening yeah, within Tongart that, that had you pass it up? No, no, no. All was good. All was really good. It was 2011. Okay. It was 2011. All was good. It was, it was just the government each thing that I still had, uh, that I still needed to be a public servant. I, I needed to do good uh, and stop commenting about how bad things are without folding my arms. It was all about a personal journey more than anything to do with any company. You must be quite relieved, though, that you didn't go to Tongard because it may have tested your resolve somewhat. Um, I don't know when the troubles at Tongard started, but I mean, the, we know executives have been accused of manipulating accounts at Tongard and all sorts of other terrible things, uh, of course, uh, um, in, in subsequent years to that. Um, do you sort of see it as a, as a lucky escape? No, I had my fair share of challenges, and public sector is no small fit for anyone. So, no. <laughs> so I... I didn't run away from private sector for anything less hectic. So I really, I had my fair share in, in public sector. But I mean, when I finished public sector at the city of Ekuruleni, I, I really had I had a ball. I mean, contrary to how public sector looked like, I had a ball because for the first time, ESG was real in all respect. Um, explain, this to, ex, explain this to me, please, because you joined the Ekuruleni municipality. I think you were 32 years old or thereabouts. You were a, a young chief financial officer to be joining a municipality, a very complex um, organism. Um, and uh, you were there, I think, for eight years or thereabouts, if my maths is right. Yeah, no, I was, I was way older than that. Uh, I, I was still in private sector when I was in my 30s. I was, okay. I was way older than that, almost a decade late. Um, okay, okay, from, okay. No, I, I already paid my school fees around life and, and finance street. But, you know, when I joined the city, also was looking at an opportunity to do something good. But I, I was not ready for what I've received and learned 
I mean, I got into an organization that I used to call the city of Ikurulini any blue chip listed company. Uh, I used to call myself as the CFO of that because Monday I'll be doing service delivery Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and, you know, come Thursday, I'll be meeting the bankers and doing roadshow, trying to raise funds and doing bond uh, raising. Friday, I'll be in the street in of, of the city, you know, checking all corners, capital expenditures, see how things are being done. When I say ESG was real, it's because when we talk about social impact and for someone like me being a finance person, but really going out in the street and making sure that when we say the rate payers are paying for service, what does it look like? And and I was never that CFO that will sign an invoice that pay a supplier just because everybody else said it's fine, but I needed to observe. And, and that was great because I understood the city better. I dare say more better than some of the politicians that used to be councillors in some areas because that was my life, that every Friday, me, my team, and, and really the entire city uh, leadership, we started going out and we really inspected projects. We inspected things that we're doing wrong, even policies. We asked people, what do you think we're doing wrong? What can we change? And, and that was really, for me, social impact mm. in, the, in the true sense. And talk about governance. I mean, we had our clean audit running. So we, we had it all. We, we, we really made sure that we what? leave what ESG what? people say it is. What was the state of the city's finances when you joined? Because you are credited with delivering clean audits, which, we, as we know in the public sector, is an incredibly difficult thing to do. So I'll say this. The city used to be called Ekuruloto <laughs> when I joined. <laughs> Whatever that meant, I did not understand. And, and that we were Ekuruloto. And needless to say that in the period that... I was there and, and the leadership that was there, I mean, both political leadership, very strong political leadership that really wanted to make change. It makes a huge difference, Bruce, when you have political leadership like we had at that time and, and really had the city manager that really was, that cared about governance, that cared about the people of the city. And, and it made our life as technocrat much easier. I, I, can, I can say without you know, fear of contradiction that any ex ex executive or what we used to be called HOD that served during that time, they've served under very strong political and official administrative leadership that made our job quite easy. Hence, we were able to, to, to deliver the clean audits that we were delivering because they let us do what we were trained to do and to no. deliver what we need. Uh, tragically, it's quite a rare experience in many municipalities where you've got people who go in as professionals who are then either hoodwinked, lied to, or become complicit in a much bigger um, sort of draining ikuruloto, <laughs> um, in a far greater scheme of dispossessing a municipality of its finances rather than managing those finances. How long did it take to turn around the finances? Because you've got to have, on the one side, political will, strong political leadership, very strong oversight, and then within that framework, you can do your job. You can't do it without everybody else pulling in the same direction, I'm sure. No, you need everybody. Uh, and, and again, one of the other things that did was also recruit for, for finance, for example, you know, people from Auditor General, recruited CAs. You know, we were given an opportunity to recruit 
technically strong people. It really did not, because the willingness was already there, we had a political will, we had, you know, administrative that was willing to change things. It really took us about eight months. We delivered a first clean audit, but it was eight months of non-sleep. I know everybody knows that we used to literally sleep. I mean, I remember one day, Bruce, we, we were talking about capital expenditure and how we things are not looking good and how we're going to make sure that the project that delivered throughout the night, and that was one of many nights. And the, mo- the following morning, I had to meet different banks to, to really talk about Ekuruleni and Race Fund. I literally moved from the city, really went home to just shower and into, into the bank street. By three o'clock that day, after meeting a couple of bankers, you finish. But, but that wasn't the life. The life was, we will get this thing right. And, and there was everybody who was willing to do it. And many people spent nights without seeing their family, just because but we it, wanted to get it right. It does go to show what is possible. Because um, we look at some of the, the, the financial positions of some municipalities and you go, well, it's going to be impossible. There's so much wrath. There's so much dreadful stuff going on within the municipality. It is unfixable and we almost give up on them. I think you've got evidence that anything can be fixed, but it's got to have all of the elements in place in order to, to do so. Definitely. And the saying that, you know, the fish rot from the head, no lie. You know, experience it. When you've got strong leadership... You know they follow, and and it was just us making sure that, you know, we we really engage with the politician. I think one comfort thing we had, as as technocrats, was that we were able to talk to a politician and really show them, you know, we will take the policy. We will take. We understood even the policy of the ANC. That's how deep we got to. We we stopped being because when you argue with someone and you're actually not showing them their own thing. You know, people think, oh, yeah, you guys don't even understand. We're like, this is the policy of our country, right? We will work within it. You need to give us that space. But I I, I do respect them. They, they all really gave us the space to do our job. Who was the mayor of Koroleni at that time? It, it was Ms., uh, Minister Kungubela. He was the mayor. Oh, okay. The city minister, Mr. Angema. And they did. They did let us do our job. And, and, and that's that was... again encouraging because Monty Gungubela, of course, has been elevated to minister in the presidency. So anybody who's sort of cynical about politics, politicians and appointments needs to hear the story of the fact that here yeah, you had a political leader who was willing to um, be, you know, to, to fix up a mess that they'd inherited. Uh, we're talking to Ramasela Ganda this evening, chief executive of the Zida Group. That's the legacy name of Avis. We'll talk about Avis, the future of Avis, and what her plans are for the listed entity. Has been listed on the JSE since last year. In a moment, the Money Show. Shapeshifters. Tonight's shapeshifters had many, many jobs in the South African corporate sector. Deloitte, Anglo-American, Vodacom, Telcom passed up a job to be chief financial officer at Tongart. Instead, going to work as uh, in finance at the Ikuruleni municipality uh, under Monte Gungubele. And at that time, turned it around and uh, made sure that it got a series of clean audits. Got the first clean audit in 14 years when Ramasela Ganda was there, the chief executive today of Zida Group. Ramasella then trained to join the Barlow World. Barlow World, of course, uh, running Barlow World Equipment. But Barlow World, of course, owned Avis in South Africa. And last year, unbundled. 
bundled Avis and listed it on the JSE. Um, were you always a shoe in for the Avis job? Did you have to fight hard to get the Avis job, Ramasella? You know, I love the yellow plant, so I thought they would leave me at the yellow plant. Uh, but now I am so in love with the with the red. Uh, uh, <laughs> now again, that's an in, that's an in, that's an internal thing. When you talk about the yellow plant, I mean this is caterpillar equipment. This is big, yes. heavy, earth-moving machinery of which there's tragically very little demand in South Africa at the moment because of a, a lack of activity in the market. So that's the big yellow. The big red, of course, that's Avis's corporate color. So they took hey. you out of yellow and chucked you into the deep ended red, did they? They did in the middle of at the beginning of COVID. May I just add, on the 1st of April 2020, I joined Avis. Did you think to yourself, this, what what have I done wrong in my life to be handed this lemon? Because it must have been catastrophically awful. You would have had to get rid of fleets of people, of all sorts of terrible decisions they have to make at that point. I think everything else I was able to deal with. But when the Balwold leadership said to me on the 1st of April, my very first day, that they need a turnaround strategy in five days of that business, then I thought I must have done something horribly wrong in my previous life <laughs> to deserve this. But but it was a challenge that I, I was not aware that I was ready for, but I took it on and and, and really just put my head down and just see how, what we need to do and how best to do it, but most importantly, how quickly to do it. Because, you know, as you say, the first time in our lifetime when the airports were shut, and this is the business that's supposed to be, you know, my business of just making and generating great profit for Balwal, but that was not going to be. Uh, Avis was was in trouble, and, and then I had to make sure. And one thing, Bruce, I'll tell you that I used to say to the team, at the hardest period was when we're doing, you know, Section 189, the one thing that kept me going was Avis must survive and not only survive, must thrive. And to the team that I had to lay off, I used to say, if you don't come back, one thing I'm going to make sure that we do is that you come back. But if you don't come back, I want to make sure that your children, if not your children, your great-grandchildren come back to Avis, that Avis will be here. Mm. And and really, that was my drive. And Bruce, I'll tell you, a year later in 2020, sorry, 2022, when we won a big contract from Emirates and, and I had to see drivers just in Gauteng, about 95 drivers back. I, I I consider myself that I don't cry easily, but but I broke down. It was the one of the most emotional time for me. To but that say, brings, gives hope again, doesn't it? It's like, okay, they're, they're, we're going to survive this thing and jobs will come back. Where are you in terms of business levels relative to before COVID? Before COVID, the South African car rental industry um, and those sort of charter vehicles that you would have do for Emirates for their business and first-class passengers for the luxury transfers and that sort of stuff is... Uh, uh, you would have been flying high and suddenly it was a hard stop. It was like those dreadful crash test dummy things where the car hits a brick wall and stops dead um, and, and is obliterated. Are you back to pre-COVID levels? Are you on your way to pre-COVID levels? Where are you sitting? So when you look at the volumes 
we're just under 70% of the pre-COVID level. Okay. But what is actually quite interesting with the volumes is we've actually introduced new products during COVID that, you know, like a subscription offering, which we, we're really just saying to people, now you can subscribe to have a car wherever you want it. You know, you have Avis where you are, where you can get a car as and when you need it. And, you know, the, what was quite interesting for us, Bruce, was in May 2020, when we introduced the subscription, obviously we must have been crazy because we thought no one is on the road. By July 2020, we had almost 6,000 vehicles on the road. And, wow. and it was just incredible for us because we like 6,000 renters that are taking the car for a month and longer, a maximum of about 12 months. But it was just incredible that... You know, if you really look hard, there are opportunities out there. Even in the middle of COVID, we saw things we've never experienced before, where we had just a new product that just took the market and and we added existing product like Avis where you are. And, and that thing just, you know, so as much as I'm saying the volumes are 70%, it is because it's other new volume that previously uh, was not mm. there. So... You know, the biggest market that is still not fully back is your inbound market. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's there's so many people visiting at the moment, but we're not back to pre-COVID levels by any stretch. But it's coming back, I think. I mean, there's very clear evidence, and you must see the bookings coming through quite quite strongly. No, it is. It is. It's very encouraging. You see Cape Town is a buzz. And, I mean, even in months where we thought we're going to slow down in, in January, it, it was a buzz. So, so it's really encouraging to see that, you know, the world still, you know, look at us, despite the challenges that uh, people, I mean, big sending market like Europe and UK have, we're still seeing a lot. People still want to, to come back to South Africa. You know, everything is still good. The weather is still good. And even people say yeah. they've, they've got an app for load shedding, so they can even manage load shedding. <laughs> so we're really hoping to see more visitors. No, exactly. I, I wish we didn't have a, an app for load shedding, but we do. Now, um, you wanted yeah. to be a police. You wanted to be a police officer at one point in your career, and I guess, in many ways, you fulfilled that ambition um, as a chartered accountant, as a chief financial officer. You've kind of been a bit like a police officer throughout your career, keeping an eye on executives, making sure that the money is well accounted for, making sure that it's spent where it's meant to be spent, that it's collected where it's meant to be collected. It's kind of a policing function, isn't it? It does fulfill a lot of function. I mean, I <laughs> I don't look at it that way. I'm hoping that, um, but but when I when I look at it, to say, uh, and I also wear uniform at Avis. Uh, Bruce can also add to it. I'm just not having a gun. That's <laughs> that's just the one thing. But from a governance point of view, I think that has worked out very well. That making sure that things are in order, everything is the way it's supposed to be. And and I think that's been a journey that. As much as I haven't, I was not a woman in blue, I'm definitely a woman in red. What's your big goal? What's the big ambition? Other than devouring the competition, of course, and obliterating everybody who wants to stand in your way, what is what is your big what is your big vision in terms of where you would like to see Avis on your watch? You know, Avis currently is the largest licensee, corporate licensee of Avis budget group outside. US and, and and that has been but we still have a long way to do to go covering you know the continent as as a as a whole 
about where the business is. Avis has got so many legs. I mean, most people look at us and look at as a short-term car rental that we're doing leasing business. The biggest real goal for me is to really see the market moving, especially the region that we're currently in, moving from ownership to usership. If if one day, Bruce, the automatic thing is not, I want to buy a car, but I just want to have access to mobility. And, and I'm having access to mobility. Even if that gives us about 40%, that will be the biggest penetration that we sure. have in, 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 in the region of just people not waking up and say, I need to buy a car. I'm starting a new job, I need a car. Is I need to move. And, and, and for me, Ava's, uh, you know, aspiration and our true north will have been realized that Correct. it's not about ownership, it's about just use, despite the challenges about transportation that we may have yeah. uh, as a country and road infrastructure, I think we can still achieve a lot on usage. Ramasala Ganda, thank you Ramasala very much indeed for joining us this evening, Chief Executive at ZEDA, Z-E-D-A Group.